Craig, good morning to you. Welcome back, welcome back. Uh, my name's Neil. Uh, I, if you haven't come across me before, uh, along with my wife, Kate, we lead this church. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're really, really welcome. It is really great to see you. We'd love to connect with you. I don't know if you uh, saw the guys on the welcome desk as you came in, but if you, if you feel comfortable, give us your details. We'd love to uh, reach out. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to help you connect with whatever part of the body of Christ it is that God's calling you to, if it's this one or another part. Um, we'd just love to help you on your journey of faith. I guess uh, it was probably... Um, it's probably a couple of years ago now, uh, and I say it was a couple of years ago now because I don't think we've really been out anywhere for the last 24 months or so, but um, a couple of years ago, a bit more, Kate and I, were, we were on our way out to spend an evening with, um, with some friends, and on the way, we, uh, we stopped off to pick up a, a, I don't know, a couple of bottles of wine and, um, and some chocolate, uh, and just because I was sort of running low, some, some petrol. And so we stopped off at the garage on the way to this party to get the things that we needed um, so that we could uh, head off. Uh, you know, when I, I would say sort of head off at great speed, uh, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, really, wasn't really like that. Especially as two, about 200 yards down the road, something about, something about the car wasn't, wasn't quite right. Um, now, this will come as a great surprise looking at me, but I, I am no expert on anything, actually, uh, by any means, certainly, certainly not um, cars, but it was sort of okay, um, but just not really, if you know what I mean. And I had this sort of sinking feeling that something, something pretty annoying and probably pretty expensive was about to happen. And lo and behold, 50 yards further down the road, and the car ground to a halt. Awesome. The party was looking less and less likely, and instead it looked like that we'd be spending the evening with the AA. Um, not quite what we had in mind. You know, thing is, cars break down. Uh, there's nothing that you can do about it. They go wrong. What can you do? So anyway, about two hours of waiting on the curbside for the fantastic emergency services to arrive, um, the AA came. And I'm, I'm sort of, you know, telling them what happened in that way that um, some of us do, which is as if I know what I'm talking about when I really don't know anything about anything, and um, sort of suggesting to this chap what the problem could be, until he, he asked me if I'd recently filled up with petrol. And, um, and I was like, wow. That's, that's impressive. You're like a mechanic and a psychic. Um, that's, that's good. It's like, yeah, actually, I just, I just filled up the whole tank. And he said, yeah, you, you may have filled up the whole tank, but you filled it with the wrong fuel. And your car's kind of broken. And I was like, that's, surely that's not, like, people don't actually do that, do they? That's like... No one could be that stupid. And I was so convinced that I couldn't possibly have been that stupid, I said, I, let me show you the receipt, which had in black and white, that I had in actual fact put in the wrong um, fuel. I don't know why they don't just change the shape of the nozzles. Like, 
Why don't they make them triangular or something? Like, it's really not difficult. This is not rocket science. Um, what I do know um, was I was having, you know, we'd already paid for a full tank of petrol, which isn't necessarily cheap. And then we had to pay to get the wrong fuel out of the car, and that wasn't cheap either. And then we had to pay again for another full tank of fuel, um, and this time the right fuel. So I was, by now I was pretty embarrassed, I was pretty humiliated, pretty broke, uh, reasonably and more than fairly berated by my beloved, <laughs> who has never, ever, ever, ever done anything like that. Um, anyway, we decided that it, actually we didn't really feel like going to the party anymore, and so we just went home. Uh, so all in all, it was a pretty unsuccessful, a pretty expensive evening of driving up the road and driving home again, just a few hundred quid lighter. Um, anyway, why am I telling you about my general uselessness? Well, um, I, I think it may have been on my mind this week, mostly because of some Bible verses that we read, we looked at last week from Isaiah chapter 58. And I suppose the question I've been asking myself is, in light of what we read last week um, from Isaiah 58, is have we been putting the right fuel in the tank? Have we been putting the right fuel in the tank? So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Isaiah 58, and let's take a look again. This time I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, I've got time. This is Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. Uh, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you, God, have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and, and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from, our own, from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry 
and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And has he spoken? <laughs> um, now, just a bit of historical background for Isaiah uh, 58. Is, this is uh, exile uh, time. This is referencing a period of fasting that the, um, the Israelites were pushing into following exile. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. There's a 70-year exile that they're um, in the midst of. And, and Israel would fast for at least twice a year, uh, really to remember the fact that uh, they'd lost their home, they'd lost their land, uh, they'd lost their king, they'd lost pretty much everything that mattered to them. And they're desperate for God to intervene and to hear their cry. And, and, and so desperate are they that they fast and they pray in the hope that God will answer them in their day of trouble. And we kind of look at that and we go, well, that makes sense. Like, I would do the same. That's, that's a very sensible, logical thing to do. And they're really clearly fasting because they think it's going to, I think, increase the chances that their prayers are going to be answered. It's like, you know, you pray and then you fast, and it's like you're turbocharging your prayers. And, and God really has no choice but to intervene. Um, Jerusalem lies in ruins. The people effectively are um, seeking justice. They're crying out to God for justice to be done. They're, they're complaining, if, in effect, to the Lord for his seeming lack of engagement. And they've been doing that, you know, at least since chapter 40 um, of Isaiah. And, and the truth be told, I think Israel believes that a great injustice has been done to them by Babylon, who kind of whisked them off and taken them off into captivity. They, they're being held, they've been held by their, uh, they're being held captive by their foreign oppressors. Uh, their city is in ruins, their temple has been destroyed. And they feel like they've been abandoned by God. You know, they've, they have really been through it. These are really unprecedented and difficult and challenging times. But as Israel complains that God has seemingly departed from them, depriving them of justice, God responds by saying to Israel that actually perhaps they need to think themselves about the part that they have played in uh, meeting out injustice to those around them. And that even though Israel may have paid close attention to the demands of the law, the rigors of the law, the letter of the law, that perhaps they have not paid as much attention to the, the ethics of the law or the spirit of the law. They believe uh, that they are the victims. Uh, 
when in actual fact, it, it could be argued that they are actually perpetrators. They believe that they're doing the right thing in seeking God uh, through their fasting, but it seems like they've forgotten or they've not paid attention to some of the stuff that Isaiah says right back at the beginning of um, the book, back in chapter 1, verse 17, that they were to seek justice, that they were to defend the oppressed, that they were to take up the cause of the fatherless, and they were to plead the case of the widow. That was their mandate. That was their instruction. Um, because to truly seek the Lord is to seek justice and righteousness for the poor and the oppressed. To truly seek the Lord is to seek justice and righteousness for the oppressed. But while the Israelites um, may be willing to de um, devote their, their religious um, rituals and routines and their religious practices and prayers to God, it doesn't look like their faith, you know, their understanding of who God is and who God has called them to be extends to, you know, I don't know, like just the other. They're not looking out for the other. And what's worth noting here, I think, is that just stopping oppressing others isn't really what I think God is getting at here in Isaiah 58. It's not enough to say, well, you know, I, I don't oppress anyone. It's like, I kind of hope not. You know, it's like a low bar. To be a people of justice and righteousness means that we be and we are a people actively engaged in transformation. Be that spiritual, social, financial, political, institutional, the list goes on. You see, Israel had been called, Israel was called to be an agent, a bringer, the embodiment, the incarnation of, of liberation, of freedom, of generosity, of shalom, of compassion for the poor and the oppressed, what, what we call the kingdom of God. That's what they were supposed to embody. And in exactly the same way, we as the church are called to embody, and as followers of Jesus, we're called to embody um, ex the exact same thing. So Isaiah is urging Israel, and he's saying, you know, pour yourself out. Uh, the RSV version uh, has it like this. It's, pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. And that phrase, pour yourself out, it, it literally just means pour, spend yourself. Pour, your, pour out your soul for those in need. It's, it's a similar expression that's used in, um, in verse 3 about humbling yourself. Um, and what Isaiah is doing here, I think, is he's, he's calling for this, um, this full, total, radical transformation of the very soul of the whole community, not just of individuals, but the very fabric, the very heart, the very soul of the nation. And, and it's a move away from just religious rituals and, and practices, just because that's what we think we're supposed to be doing so that we can get God's attention. And it's towards a, a far more fundamental, far more holistic, far more radical transformation of the very soul of the community that is the actual embodiment of the fabric of the kingdom of God. And so fasting is a word we're not necessarily particularly comfortable with anymore. And, you know, as we approach Lent, it's going to come up more and more. But fasting 
it isn't some magic wand uh, that we wave, you know. It's not some secret formula whereby we get God's favor and attention, sort of in this kind of, you know, look, God, check, you know, check me out. I, I, you know, I've not eaten chocolate for like a whole week. Like, we're talking proper sacrifice here. Do you know how much this has cost me? Now it's your turn, you know? Uh, show me the money, do, you know, do me a solid, and I've given up chocolate for a whole week. Now, obviously, you are going to, in exchange for that sacrifice, answer my prayer and do the very thing that I've asked you to do. It doesn't work like that. That's not what fasting is about. Fasting is all about aligning our priorities and our heart with God's heart and God's priorities, aligning ourselves to the things that matter to God, so that the things that matter to God matter to us. Um, fasting is actually all about spiritual transformation. And Isaiah is calling the nation to fast, you know, not from food, not from chocolate, not from TV, or dare I say, you know, wine or gin or both, probably not at the same time, but possibly depending on how the week's been going, in some kind of, I don't know, pseudo-spiritual detox cleanse. Isaiah is calling Israel to fast, you know, not from food. He's calling them to fast from things like their affluence, their indifference, their privilege. And uh, in a turn of phrase that actually may not sit very well with us, um, it's pretty clear, I think, that the response that God promises is kind of conditioned on the response of the people. And so all of the, prophecies, uh, all of the promises that you see in Isaiah um, 58, verses like eight and nine, they're all introduced by the word then. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. The promise of um, 58 verse 10 comes in this form of this if-then clause. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And the, the promise is that if justice is the backbone and the foundation, if you like, of who we are and what we do as a community, then light will break forth and healing will quickly appear. And interestingly, in the book of Isaiah, light is a symbol for salvation. And, and what is this light that is about to dawn, according to Isaiah? Well, the light that is about to dawn, the light that he's talking about is God's eschatological promise of salvation. It's the culmination, it's the, it's the end, it's the consummation of God's kingdom promises because the light is none other than Jesus himself, who himself comes to liberate everyone from darkness and establish justice and righteousness for all. Now, uh, what's all of this got to do with us, I hear you ask? Well, there's some things I think I mean, my sense was, as I was prepping this week, that Isaiah 58 just kept coming back. And I think there's something in there and in here for us 
uh, as a church, particularly as we feel like God's called us to focus our energies and our attention on the subjects and the theme of justice over this last few months and into the next uh, probably many. And I suppose what I really want to say this morning is that justice matters to God. This is not a bolt-on. This isn't an extra thing. This isn't a, you know, I kind of like that stuff. This is pretty main and plain. Um, you know, here you've got the Israelites, God bless them, they're thinking that they've got this whole religion thing nailed, you know, with their rituals and routines and their religion, effectively. And God's saying, oh, guys, God bless you, but actually, it's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm after. It's not what I'm interested in. Um, God is looking for more than a religious ritual. He's looking for um, restorative relationships. Um, Jesus himself says it, you know, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, Ali put it really well the other week when he said, you know, I just want people to be kind. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite low-level stuff. This really shouldn't be that difficult. The thing that Isaiah, I think, is calling us to, um, you know, the things like to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to share our food, to provide shelter, and on and on and on. You know, these are more than just like one-time one -time actions and activities. These are, these are behavioral adaptations that have um, wide social ramifications. They're actions that by definition will transform culture. They will restore hope. They will restructure relationships. You see, God's desire isn't for these sort of one-off pious acts, you know, that we do, and it's like, great, checkbox, done that, fasted today, didn't eat chocolate, awesome, great, next, and I just carry on and move on with my life. Um, God is after uh, something far more disruptive. It's the disruption and the dismantling of unjust relationships and exploitations. Instead of the traditional fast days, God is saying the fast that I've chosen is, is like a whole new way of life. It's a whole new way of doing things. And it's a whole new way of life that is centered and framed solely around the person of Jesus and his justice and his righteousness. The fast that God seeks um, calls for compassion, it calls for mercy, it calls for generosity, it calls for justice day in, day out, hour in, hour out. And whether it's individually or corporately, um, God's people, are, according to Isaiah, are not going to enjoy a full relationship with God without a just relationship with one another. When the righteousness and justice of Jesus, when those things lie at the heart of who we are, God is at the heart of his people. And, you know, here in the vineyard, this is nothing new, okay? I don't know how it comes across, but this is nothing new. This, this lies at the very heart of the vineyard and who God has called us to be, um, and who God called us to be right from the very outset. Um, and while it may be argued, if you've been around the, the vineyard for a bunch of years, it, it could be argued that 
We've put other things front and center over the years. There's probably some truth in that. At the core of who God called us to be as the vineyard, at the core of that was, was mercy and justice, compassion. Um, if you remember the thing called the vineyard man, um, now probably called the vineyard person, um, look at that, awesome. Uh, the legs we stand on in the vineyard um, have always been worship and compassion. The things that keep us up, you know, and what we stand on is the word of God looked at through the lenses, you know, of and through the theology and our understanding of the kingdom of God, you know. And, and, and uh, trust me, Kate and I have been around the vineyard for 35 years. None of this is new. Uh, far from it. Actually, this is getting us back to the very core of who it is that God has called us to be. Galatians um, 2 verse 10 was one of Wimber's um, core verses. It was a central part of the commission given to any vineyard church plant. Uh, And Galatians 2 verse 10, it says this, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. All they asked was that we should remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. And if you've been here for, I don't know, I don't know when it was, it was a long time ago, For ages, right by that back door on the right-hand side, there was a sign. And as you left this building on a Sunday morning and went out into the world, there was a sign that Mumford, John Mumford, told us to put up. And it was the last thing you read as you walked out those doors, and it just said, remember the poor. This This is who we are. This is the very essence of who we are, the very core of who we are. When, when Mumford went to Anaheim, right, right back in the early days, while he was still a, a, an Anglican curate, the first thing that struck him was this, was this warehouse with acres and acres, basically. It was in California, so of course they've got acres and acres of space. Acres and acres and acres of food for the homeless. That's how the vineyard started. It was started with worship and compassion. It was giving out stuff and things to those in need, compassion, mercy, justice, these are part of our DNA here in the vineyard. And, and pretty much everything else, you know, I don't know, um, uh, spiritual gifts, signs and wonders, you know, the healing, the healings and the prophecy, the casting out of demons, all that stuff, all of which is fantastic. You know, none of that was really ever meant for the church. It was... All that stuff, you know, when you've been around, you know, people used to say that um, your understanding of the vineyard depended on when you joined. You know, the vineyard has been through many different um, interpretations over the years, you know, so back in the early days, it was intimacy and worship and compassion, and then, you know, we've got Kansas City prophets, and suddenly it was a prophetic movement, and you had people like Paul Kane who would read or you know, call out your telephone number in a conference, and, and then there were signs and wonders, and there was all these different things. Been, the, the vineyard has been through all these different sort of iterations, um, if you like. But, but, but one thing that's true is that, again, intended as true from the early days, was that the, the signs and wonders, the spiritual gifts, the healing and all that type of stuff was never really intended and designed for the church. Um, it, was, it was intended as a means of outreach, power evangelism. It was to reach the lost. 
um, it was a demonstration. It was to be a demonstration of the kingdom of God for those in need of a demonstration of the kingdom of God. It was for those who needed a touch of justice and compassion. And so Sundays and small groups, um, these were places and spaces whereby we could all practice safely, kind of with one another, um, things like spiritual gifts. So we could practice on one another healing. We could practice words of knowledge. We could practice casting out demons or whatever it might be. So that, and solely for this reason, so that we were better equipped when we went out of those doors to remember the poor, so that when we found ourselves serving at a food bank or grow baby or whatever the equivalent was then, or when we were on the bus or when we were on the school gate or whatever, that we could then use what we practiced here, there. The trouble is, somewhere along the line, <laughs> I don't know where or when or how it happened, but somewhere along the line, this ended up being the only place we practice spiritual gifts. And increasingly, it's not even the place we practice spiritual gifts. That was never, that was never the plan. The plan was that as the body of Christ, as the vineyard, you know, um, this, you've heard me say this before, this small insignificant flavor in the stew that is called the church. The plan was that we, the vineyard, would be the embodiment, the incarnation, the demonstration of the kingdom of God, as described here in Isaiah 58. And that's why, and this is really just the kind of, we've just finished our series on migration. This is a sort of, you know, we've done uh, some stuff on uh, environment and climate change. We've done some stuff on migration. We're going to keep on going um, with this. But I just kind of, this is a bit of a pause, just as a bit of a reminder, a bit of a, um, uh, 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 a checking in with you, with you all as to that's why we're focusing our energies here on Sundays talking about issues of justice. Um, because at the end of the day, this is the right fuel for us. Wimber, um, his history, you know, he would talk about healing literally all the time, right? Endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. You know, all his conferences were healing conferences, all his clinics were, you know, he'd have people, he'd have like words of knowledge and then someone would come down the front, you know, they've got a dodgy knee or something and then they would do clinics and five-step healing models and teach and train people how to pray for the sick and stuff like that, again, to equip them so that they could go out and do that. And people used to get sick and tired of hearing Wimber talking about healing. And they'd be like, oh, for goodness sake, is this all you ever talk about is healing? And when are you going to talk about something else? And Wimber said, we'll talk about something else when we've got it. Once we've got it, we'll talk about something else. But we haven't got it. So until we've got it, we'll keep on talking about it. And justice feels a little bit like that for us. We're going to keep on talking about it until we've got it, I think. Does that make sense? Until it's woven into the very fabric of our being. And then we'll move on and we'll do, we'll do some other stuff. And in amongst that, we'll keep on doing all the other things as well. Um, don't hear me saying, you know, do I not value spiritual gifts? Do I not value science? Absolutely. They are potent, powerful, phenomenal, wonderful demonstrations of the kingdom. It's just that they are for those in need of a touch of the kingdom. 
I sometimes wonder if I never received another blessing from God, if I never got another healing, if I never got another prophetic word of encouragement, strengthening, comforting encouragement, I'd probably be okay because I've had so many blessings from him. There are people literally here who never had one of those blessings. Isn't it on us as the people of God to give away from the abundance that we've received and ensure that they and all the people around us who've never encountered the kingdom, who are desperately in need of justice and compassion and mercy and kindness, receive some of that. So justice, I think, is what God is calling us to put in our tank as a church. Um, And the reason I think that he's saying make sure your fuel tank is filled with justice is so that we are, this is something prophetic-y kind of thing, Um, but it's, I think it's, Kate and I think that it's so that we are filled and fueled and ready for what comes next. And um, I don't have time to go into it now at all, but Kate and I firmly believe that it is if we do these things, if as a body of believers, this is a small gathered community of, of the church, if we spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry, if we satisfy the needs of the oppressed, if we do away with the yoke of oppression, then the light of Jesus will rise in this darkness and night will become like noonday. And what I think that means is that as we spend ourselves on those in need around us, as we give ourselves to the other, as we embody the justice and the righteousness of the kingdom of God to those around us, who have been the victims of injustice, perhaps the injustice of society, perhaps and quite possibly because of the injustice of the church, um, whether that's around their race or their gender or their sexual orientation or because of their socioeconomic status or their ability or their faith or their age or, 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 or. If we spend ourselves on those people, then the Lord will guide us. Then he will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. Then he will strengthen our frame. Then we will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. This context is about Israel going back and rebuilding Jerusalem. Then we will be people who rebuild ancient ruins, the things that have been broken down. Uh, We will be the people who raise up the age-old foundations. We will be called repair of broken walls. There are so many things that are just broken. And the invitation from the Spirit of God is, go and be repairers of broken walls. Go and repair the things that are broken. Take the, the Spirit of God into the highways and the byways and mend and repair and fix. Go and be people who restore streets with dwellings. That's the call of God on our lives. And then, I think we will find, as it says in Isaiah, our joy in the Lord. Simples. Why don't you stand?